Hey, so we are in our second day of, uh, second week of uh, Revival Through Romans. We started the book of Romans last week. I kind of told you how Luke started and ended with Christmas and Easter and uh, really how God really, I'm excited about Revival Through Romans. So many people through history have had revival through the book of Romans. It's some verse God takes out of the book of Romans and just rocks somebody's world with it. And I'm talking like, you know, uh, Charles Wesley, I'm talking, you know, there's just Martin Luther. <laughs> there's like, you know, some big heavy hitters in Christendom that got saved and got right with God through Romans. And I need revival, man, because this world can beat you down, can it not? You know, it's like we talk about this joy bucket, you know, you, you, if, if your joy comes from circumstances, you can fill them up and like, oh, there's joy. This is good. This is good. But as soon as it happens, sometimes there's holes in the bucket and the joy leaks out. So if our joy comes from circumstances, man, it's going to be leaking out. But if our joy comes from knowing we have an unchangeable relationship with God, God can't love us anymore or love us any less. And that relationship is through Jesus Christ forever. And we have a home in heaven guaranteed. Dude, we don't lose our joy if that's where we find our joy, amen? And so he, Paul taught us that about in Philippians, but he's going to go through everything there is to know about Christendom in the book of Romans. We started last week and had revival through Romans, and the thought there was we're not called to behave, we're called to believe. If you sit there and try to behave, I'm going to follow this rule, follow this rule. We'll even get into that in Romans chapter 6 where he says, you try to follow the law, you're just going to break it. What you got to do is get in a relationship with Jesus Christ where you're just following him. And if you believe what he says to do, man, then you will behave and it'll be it'll blow you away. Right, Gavin? <laughs> Gavin's got a cool DMV story. If you want to if you want to hear it from him later, he's right back there. But I'm just saying, if you just believe, he says, hey, yeah, talk to this person. Oh, yeah. Hey, go here and do this, man. And you do it and you believe all of a sudden you are behaving. And that's what we looked at last week with the Apostle Paul. And this week, we're going to be looking at the second verse in Romans, and the title is, You Can Cut the Bible Anywhere and It Bleeds. So many people think that, okay, all right, God made Adam and Eve, you know, put him in the garden, and it's like, he had best hopes, gave him the perfect place to live, hey, was the best parent, best environment, best everything, and they blew it. Now God had to come up with another option. Oh my goodness, how am I going to like redeem them? How am I, you know, and, and God had to come up with some other option and that the salvation through Jesus Christ was an afterthought or it was an audible, it was another play. But no, from the beginning of time, there was a plan that God was going to make man. You've heard me talk about it before here, that back in eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Did they ever fight, Fernanda? No, perfect unity, like you and Terry were before you had kids. No, I'm just, no, just, <laughs> maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. But, man, it was like perfect unity. Everything was good. And, and they came up with the plan, man, we're going to make man in our image. We're going to make an earth. And we're going to put all these awesome animals, and they're all going to obey out of instinct. They're going to do exactly what we call them to do. And, and, and that, unless man gets in the way and starts trying to train them, right, and crossbreed them and make mongrels and whatnot. He said, he said man, we're going, to, we're going to make animals. They're going to behave out of instinct. But we're going to make man, and we're going to make him in our image. And we're going to set him up, and we're going to make it possible for him to mimic us. That's what image means. How many of y'all looked in the mirror today? Everybody look in the mirror? Steve, look in the mirror. What would you do in the mirror? Did, did, did you look, but you looked, did you make a face? Did you go, oh, you know, or and what did the image in the mirror do? Exactly what you did, right? 
Because you would not be here. You'd be dead on the floor if that image did something different than you, correct? Yeah. How many of y'all had the image in the mirror do exactly what you did? That's an icon. That's made in the image of God. We were created where to, by our actions, by our attitudes, by our decisions that we mimic God. And we have that ability. And, and that's how he created us. We're the only animals in the world to do that. Why did he give us a choice? Because when we choose to do it his way, we show him that we love him. When we choose to do it our way, we show we love us. So guess what Adam and Eve did, man? They got in the garden, right? They got in the garden, perfect everything, environment, perfect everything. And they were told, you can do whatever you want, right, Kevin, except for what? Except for what? The tree. There's one tree. There's a little button. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Hey, how many of y'all are going to touch the button? Yeah? That's the law, right? Uh, but he said, everything, you can do anything you want except eat of that one tree. And it was a tree of good, of knowledge of good and evil. So when they, oh, when they ate of that tree, if they chose to eat of the tree, if they were tempted and lured to eat of the tree and then made the choice to eat of the tree, it opened their mind up to the knowledge of, they already had the knowledge of good, Right? In other words, man, I'd look at Steve, I'd look at Ashley, I can even look at her belly button and say, man, that's good. Y'all, if y'all weren't here for that, you'll don't know what I'm talking about, but Ashley's going to like cover her belly button from now, but, but man, anything you looked at was good, right? So if they ate off the tree, what did they add to their repertoire? The ability to see bad. How many of y'all are really glad they gave you the ability to see bad? <laughs> because what do we see more? Do we see good or bad more often? bad. God had good plans. I don't want you to see bad. I want you to know good for everything. I, I, you know why? Because whenever you see good and bad, you have to make a choice, guys. And you're not qualified to make a choice all the time. Only when you're walking in the Spirit are you qualified to make a choice, because then you're seeing it from my perspective. So God says, I'm the only one qualified to make the decision of good and bad. I just want you to do what I say to do. I'm just going to tell you the right thing to do, and you do it. Terry, isn't that what you've tried to tell these girls their whole life? I'm going to show you and tell you the right thing. Just do it. How many of y'all tried that with your kids? How many of them have made other decisions because they thought they maybe knew a little better? They thought, well, let's give it a shot. What can it hurt? <laughs> you know? So Eve saw uh, that Satan came, Satan tempted, because, you know, uh, by, by the way, when God created this earth, who did he give charge to? Who did he put in charge of it all? Adam and Eve, right? He put them in charge. You're in charge of all the animals, all the plants, you're in charge of all this, all this, and when they now obeyed Satan instead of God, you know what happened? They gave charge of this earth to Satan. God gave it to us, we gave it to Satan. And in case you just want to blame Adam and Eve on that, how many times have you done something that God didn't want you to do? How many times have you given charge of something God gave you charge of and you gave it to Satan because you chose to act a certain way? We inherited that nature to do that. Sin entered the world through Adam and Adam brought sin. We all inherit that nature to do that. How many of y'all had to learn how to sin? Any of y'all had to learn? You had to go like your mom and dad sat you down like they taught you to read and said, okay, now here's what happens. If something comes up and it seems like it's better to tell a lie instead of tell the truth. No, you got to wait till college for that. I'm sorry. But, but 
No, you don't have to learn to sin. It's, it, it's natural in there. We inherited that from Adam. So here it was. Man, God created. Guess what? Satan came and said, ah, God doesn't want you to be like him. Did God really say? And guess what? She saw that it was good. Or, or, or she, and, 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 and she saw it because it looked good. But then she looked at it and said, that looks like it's going to taste good. Hey, think about that. Can you tell how good something's going to taste by the way it looks? Have you ever been fooled? Yeah, granny's like wax apples back in the day, right? You know, how many of y'all ate wax fruit your granny had? You know, no, I'm just, but seriously, it, 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 you can't, but that's how deceived. She looked and it, oh, it looked good. Woo, it looks so good. I know it's going to taste good. And it's going to make me wise to be like God. I'm going to be able to, to know the difference between good and evil. Wow. And he made them think that was a good thing. How many of y'all think it's a good thing to know evil? How many of y'all think it would have been better just to see good? Yeah, that was God's plan in this. And, and God knew they were going to do this. So God knew he was going to have to provide a redeemer in this. So check this out in Romans. Oh, you're getting me there? Uh, oh, no, not there. We're going to go all the way to. Okay, good, good, good. All right, I'll keep talking. You let me know when you're ready for me. All right, uh, you're good. <laughs> all right. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, listen to this. Paul, we started this last week, okay? Paul, he said, I'm a servant of Christ. I am a slave that's in love with my master, called to be an apostle, meaning every day God is calling me out to give me some phenomenal mission to do for him. And, when you, and that's seeing life from God's perspective. And he said, but I've been set apart for the gospel, so I'm, I'm going to separate myself from anything that's going to hinder me from doing what God has called me to do, which is the gospel of God. That's what I, and that's what we studied last week. And we ended with the gospel of God. Paul predictably says this is a gospel of God because he didn't want them to think it's, it's a gospel of Paul. Oh, it's a gospel of Christianity. This is a new thing because there was stuff going around. The Jews did not like the gospel of God. They were thinking, oh, this is some cult. This is some new. This goes against everything in Judaism. Judaism. This is all wrong. And Paul's going to show him in this next verse that I'm going to show you that you can cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. The gospel has been around since Adam and Eve. And I'm just going to take you through some excerpts of Genesis just to let you see how he's been promising. Because we had free choice, he knew we were going to make the wrong choice. He had to punish sin, but yet still wanted to be with us forever. He had to way, find a way to punish sin. And he would himself come and take that punishment. And, and we could spend eternity in heaven with him. So there's a gospel of God. We talk about it through here. That's what these colors are about in here. And the fact uh, in this, the gold represents what, y'all? Heaven. God has a place in he called heaven that he wants us to live with him forever. We're going to be there a whole lot longer than we would ever be in this planet. But we have something keeping us from there. And it's this black stuff right here, which is what? What does that represent, y'all? Our sin that we can't cover up and we can't take away. And it's from wrong choices that we got the ability to make from Adam and Eve. You know, how many of y'all made some wrong choices? How many of y'all are sitting next to one? No, don't say that now. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, we make wrong choices, man. And, and, we, and that's sin. We choose to do something different than what God wants us to do. And, 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 and so, man, there's a penalty for sin. There's consequences of sin. The penalty is eternal separation from God. He has to punish it. He's not letting it into heaven unpaid for, not taken care of. And, 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 and there's consequences we're going to face here, but there's eternal ones also. And, and so at some point in our life, you get saved, you get into the red, and the red represents who? The blood of Jesus Christ. God 
made a blood, we're going to see today in Genesis, a blood sacrifice from day one of sin. It, without blood, there's no remission of sins. God made a way to cover sins, to pay for sins. And, and it's through the blood of somebody who's perfect, which is Jesus Christ. And he is going to be our perfect substitute. And when God, through grace, gives you the faith to believe that, you say, dude, I have a death penalty. I am, I am doomed for death. I'm just waiting for my time of execution to show up, for my execution to show up. That's when you die. And all of a sudden, Christ comes in your life and says, hey, man, I'm giving you a pardon. And I already paid the penalty. I already took it away. Now, I want you to surrender your life to me and do things the right way this time. I'm going to give you the desire and ability to do it the right way. And every time you're tempted to do it your way, instead of like that song, Yahweh, everybody say my way or Yahweh. That's it. Bad preacher joke. Bad preacher joke. But man, remember that. Every decision you make, it's either my way or Yahweh. And every time you decided to make it your way, it, it's sin. And, and he says, but I'm, I'm going to cover that. I want you now to do it Yahweh. And once you make the commitment to him in that, which is what believe means, it means to put all your faith and trust into him, he then now gives you Christ's righteous life, applies it to your life. Now you are saved forever. You have a home in heaven. That's your home. But he leaves you here to grow more in love with him as you choose him and make the right decision instead of the wrong decision. But one day he's going to call. It's all going to be over. That's the gospel of God. That's the good news. That's what gospel means is good news in this. So in here he says, Paul, servant of Jesus Christ, we looked at that last one, set apart for the gospel of God. The only reason, how many of y'all know you're going to heaven when you die? Without a shadow of a doubt, not because you're good, bad, but because of the blood of Christ. Yeah, that's why you're going. You could, you know, only thing you contributed to your salvation, what's the only thing you contributed to your salvation? Your sin that had to be saved, right? That's all you did. That's all you contributed, Kevin. You provided the sin. Well, now I need to be saved. And God, he saved you. He saved you and he's keeping you saved. And, and, and so your only purpose here now is to live for him and represent him to other people and sharing your living for the gospel of God. And like Paul, we should say, I'm not letting anything get in between me and the, and, and the gospel of God. That's going to be my priority. I'm not letting my taxes. I'm not letting my finances. I'm not letting my problems. I'm not letting these things get in between me and God. In fact, God has put this in my life for a purpose. Everything that comes in your life had to get permission from him first. Y'all understand that? To come to you as a believer, it had to get permission from God. So God in here is wanting to do something supernatural in your life. So people say, wow, look at that. That's not like that person. And everybody glories in his grace and he gets the credit for it all. He gets the glory and you get to become more like him in that. That's the purpose. So our whole purpose is the gospel of God. Like Paul said, don't let anything get between me and the gospel of God. Everything that happens to you, see the gospel of God, an opportunity for the gospel of God in that. That's where we stopped last week. So in this, here's the next verse. That's all we're going to cover today. How long can one verse take, Terry? How long, man? Uh, with me, it could take long, but it's not. This is the, dude, watch this. We're only going to go through the first third of Genesis, man. That's it. <laughs> So the gospel of God, listen to this, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. 
So he's right away saying, this is not the gospel of Paul. This Christianity is not something new. This has been God's plan from the beginning. That man's going to need a redeemer. Man's going to need to be saved. Even later with Moses, he gave him the law. And the law is a mirror. Uh, again, how many of y'all looked in a mirror today? Anybody look in a mirror today? All right. Did you see something wrong? Anybody in the mirror? Or did y'all just wake up looking like you look up right, right now? Did anybody have to fix anything? You had to fix stuff in the mirror? Did you use the mirror to fix it? Did you take the mirror and go, oh, I'm going to fix my hair with the mirror. Oh, wait, I need some deodorant. Maybe I'll rub the mirror under my arm. Is that, is that what we do? No, the mirror just reveals what the problem is. You've got to find what fixes it. And so the mirror is the law that reveals sin to us. It says this is it, but the mirror doesn't fix it. Who is the only one who can fix the sin in our life? Jesus Christ, the promised one from the beginning. That's the only one who can fix it. And that's what it's about is knowing this Messiah, being in a relationship with this Messiah and letting him work through these things in your life so you change and he gets the glory in all of it. Amen? That's what life's about. It's not about all the other junk we bring in here. All that other junk is an opportunity to do that. So it says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets, and prophet is somebody who speaks on God's behalf. So it's from Adam and Eve all the way through the whole Bible. Dude, you can cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. It was promised through his prophets in Holy Scripture, which is God's word. Now he's bringing this up because at the time, the Jewish people thought more about the Jewish traditions, the rabbinical writings. Whenever anybody comes to me and like, well, in rabbinical writings, they want to sound intelligent. They want to sound like they're, they got some extra stuff over the Bible. Well, I'm going to tell you what, Paul and Jesus weren't real thrilled with rabbinical writings because they put the Bible, the Holy Scripture, in a back corner and they brought up and they, 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 they made their own interpretations of rabbinical writings. It would be like reading only commentaries and never reading the actual Word of God. It'd be listening to podcasts and never actually reading the real Word of God. It would be like eating all this other food that's supplementary but never reading the Word of God. That's why they didn't know that the Messiah was in the Word of God because the rabbinical writings didn't talk about it. All they were talking about was having Israel be taken over by God again so they can be in charge and not be under oppression. Hey, let me ask you a question. If you're broke, Stephen, I'm not saying you are, but if you were broke, uh, what kind of God would you want? A God with some, give you some cash, right? If y'all were sick, what kind of God would you want? A God that's going to heal me. You know, be careful of pigeonholing God into meeting your specific need. Instead, learn who God Almighty is. And you know what? You can then do things for his glory, man, and become more like him in it. So they missed the whole suffering servant. They missed all of that looking for a mighty warrior Messiah to come in because they didn't know the word of God. How important do you think it is to know the word of God now? Do you think anybody's out there trying to deceive you now? Oh, God, surely we are the most informed society there ever has been, Right? We know everything. You can Google it, dude. You can DuckDuckGo it. You can CNN it. You can Fox it. You can Rumble it. You can, right? We, we got it all, don't we? But where's the only truth that we have? The Word of God. You got to know the Word of God in this. So he promised before him through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures 
the gospel of God. It wasn't some new thing. And that's what Paul's trying to tell them in Romans. This is not new. This has been from the beginning. So you can cut the, any, the Bible anywhere and it what? It bleeds, man. Let's just take a brief perusal, a little trot through the first third of Genesis. Not every verse, not every verse. I pick some little, just, just how, how you see him fulfilling this Messiah thing, predicting and, and fulfilling it. So check this out, okay? So I brought you up to this point earlier, Genesis 3.15, all right? So here's Adam and Eve. They sinned, and God brings them. Oh, when they sinned, okay, what happened when they sinned? What do they do from God when they sinned, y'all? They hid, right? That's what we do when we sin. We hide, you know, with the people we sin with, you know? But they hid, and all of a sudden, they realized they were what? They were naked. Yeah, I can tell if you're from the South, you say naked, right? But anyway, they were naked. They were naked before. You know, there's a theory that maybe they were clothed in light. They were clothed in God's light. Hey, have you ever noticed that when you're walking with God, everything's right? Because you see it in his light. You ever been there? It's like, woohoo, And all of a sudden, when you sin, now everything is kind of wrong. You see not the good, but you see that evil. And all of a sudden, dude, we're naked. So what did they do? They went and got some scratchy fig leaves, and they made themselves some loincloths, man. And, 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 and they put them on to cover this nakedness. Did God ever even tell them to do that? No. They put it on, they covered it. Keep that thought. So God now comes, you know, and he said, hey, guys, where are you all? Because usually they were waiting for him. Hey, how many of y'all, if you get home and your dog is not wagging its tail, waiting at the door, ready to jump on, you know they did something wrong? Y'all got it? My dog's got her tail between the legs, and she's hiding. Where's Leia? Oh, she's in the closet? What? What? Yeah, she did something wrong. That's, a, that's exactly like us, right? So they were hiding, and God said, huh, why are you hiding? You Oh, because we're naked. Oh, who told you you were naked? Like, God really needed to know the answer to this. Sometimes he asks us questions so that we hear our answers, and it reveals our true heart, and we have to come to grips with who we are and how we need to repent. So in this, you're naked. Oh, who told you you're naked? Oh, did, did you eat off that tree? Did God already know they did that? Yeah, absolutely. Did you eat off the tree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is that what they said? Yeah, we ate off the tree, and I'm sorry. Is that what they said? No, no, that snake that you gave me, that serpent that you brought, he, and, that, and Adam, what about you? That woman that you gave me, they start blaming everybody for their sin in all of this. So God starts issuing out, and you can read chapter 3 and see all the things he issues out, but here's the first prophecy. Here's the first messianic prophecy that man's going to need a savior. He's speaking to the serpent, which he spoke to first before he spoke to Adam and Eve. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman all right the woman not the man because this is going to lead this is a prophecy about the virgin birth also he's get jesus had to be born of a woman to be man but he had to be born of god to be god otherwise he's born of man and and a woman he has sin nature and that's all and he had to cover all of that he didn't so there's there's a whole bunch about that and we may get into it later but i'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and the ESV says her offspring, King James, some of the others says her seed. That's how it's actually translated. Does a woman have a seed or an egg? And, uh, yeah, she don't have a seed. So there's the virgin birth. The seed was going to be God Almighty as the father of, who, of, of God the Son in this. 
And we'll talk more about that next week, about God the Son and God uh, uh, as Jesus. That'll be the next part of this. But today, it's just you cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. Uh, so her off, uh, your offspring and her offspring. There's the Messiah. He shall bruise your head. He's going to crush your head. Later in Romans, we're going to learn that on the cross, Jesus stomped and crushed Satan's head. Satan thought he won, man. And Christ is on the cross, man. And, Satan, and Jesus crushed his head. It's an answer to this prophecy right here. You'll get to that if you stick around until chapter 16. And we're going one verse a week. So <laughs> if Jesus doesn't come back, maybe he'll teach it to us. And I don't know. But look at this. He shall bruise your, uh, your head, talking to Satan, the, snur the serpent, and you shall, uh, you shall bruise his heel. That was Christ being nailed on the cross. He's going to suffer, but not like you're going to suffer. You're going to die. You're done. Your authority, your power, your everything is gone in this. So there's the beginning of it, uh, of what he said is going to happen. Um, and look at this. You remember the, 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 the fig leaves? How many of y'all like fig leaves? Anybody y'all have a fig leaf bikini back from the 60s, 70s, 80s? Did they ever go in style, fig leaf bikinis? No. You know? Anybody ever worn a fig leaf bathing suit? Don't, all right? <laughs> Just saying don't. But the Lord God, look at this. They tried to cover their sin. Was God okay with them trying to cover their sin? No, not at all. You can't cover your sin. In fact, you're trying to cover it with vegetation. Same thing with Cain and Abel. Uh, when, you know, later when Cain and Abel, one offers a blood sacrifice, one offers a sacrifice from his garden. And well, why won't you accept that? Well, because that's not what I asked for. I asked for the blood sacrifice. And we maybe we'll get into that later, but not today. So Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of what? Skin. And he clothed them. To, they had to take off the fig leaf bikinis. And you know, because blood sacrifice was how sins were going to be forgiven and God likes to make an impact. I have a feeling he didn't, humanely just kill the animal and send it off to some uh, place where they would make the clothes and they got it in an Amazon package and they got to try it on. No, this one's too big for me. Now, you know what God did? God wanted to make a point about sin and how serious sin is to him. He slaughtered right before him. I'm positive he slaughtered an animal, a living animal saying something's got to die for you to continue to live. And he killed that animal, and with the blood freshly on that animal and the warmth. If you ever hunt, anybody here hunt? One of the hardest things, I take people out hunting sometimes. And they're like, yeah, I want to hunt a hog. I want to kill a hog. I'll get them up there, and there's one sitting at the feeder. So I pull the trigger, and they're like, I can't. I can't. And again, it's not cruel to do it or whatever. If you can put them down, and we butcher them, we eat them. Y'all ever want some hog meat? Come see me. I got some in my freezer. Whole nother story on that. But, but what I'm saying in this is I'm saying that, man, if you ever do slaughter your own animals, you ever do clean your own meat, you ever do that, man, first thing, when you cut into that animal that you realize it is warm. It is warm. One time, Emily, her rotten brother I was talking about, not my two girls, but they were little, and I told my son, anything you shoot, you shoot to kill, and you don't kill it unless you're going to eat it, and you're going to eat it. Emily comes running, he shot a squirrel, he shot a squirrel. And he's like running behind her, I'm going to kill you. Oh, saw me like, oh, guess I'm not. <laughs> Please have mercy now. You know, and, and I said, son, you shot a squirrel? Did you kill it? And he said, yeah. It's laying out there. I said, son, you're going to eat it. <laughs> he's like, what? 
No parents can. I said, that's the rule. You shouldn't have been shooting there. You should have made a lot of mistakes, but you're going to eat it. I don't even know how to cook a squirrel. I don't even really know how to clean it. I say, clean it like a hog. It's a little hog. <laughs> I was like, you just start. I said, clean it. I said, wait, you're on YouTube. This is when YouTube first started. You can learn anything on YouTube. I like, look on YouTube, man. So he's on YouTube, looking on YouTube how to clean this thing, and he's cleaning it in the sink. And then he tries cooking it on the barbecue grill. It ran out of gas. He had to grill it. But he learned it all on YouTube. But I'm going to tell you, I was watching him clean it. And when he got down around the boy parts, man, and it was all, uh, he was, uh, he identified. He's like, and Emily, to your knowledge, did he ever kill another squirrel in our backyard? Not that you know, and you would have known and you would have told on him, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm just telling you, once he got down and started feeling the warmth and he took a life and he took it for no reason, oh my goodness, it changed his life on that, you know? And that's what I think God did here. But it was a picture. Man, God took these skins and said, here, you put this on. How many of y'all would be totally repulsed and grossed out if God made you a loincloth out of a freshly killed animal and had you put it on right there? How many of y'all would be totally repulsed and grossed out? Some of you, John, John's over there. No, dude, we do that all the time in Wisconsin, man. No, like... <laughs> But no, that was the God was making a point. He was making a point. This is a prophecy. Something's got to die for you to live. And the thing that has to die has to be perfect, which is going to be Jesus Christ. It's a prophecy. This wasn't some afterthought. It's been around. It's all through Scripture. You cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. So then, all of a sudden, God's looked at the earth. So here they are. They're going. They're living in the earth. And by the way, God kept them out of the Garden of Eden, right? There was another tree in there. Anybody know what the other tree was? The tree of eternal life. And if they ate off that, Gary, that means you and I would live in these sin-filled bodies forever. Dude, actually, I just realized if you're 30 and I'm 60, I was 30 when you were born. If this is what, this is what 30 years is going to do on your body right here. This is your future right here. Here, want a side view? No, I'm just like, <laughs> Gary. Can you imagine living in eternity in these bodies? No. And God said, get out of the garden. We're putting angels, cherubim here. You try to come in, you ain't coming in, man. You stay away. Because you, I don't want you eating off this tree. I want to give you eternal life the way I want to give you eternal life. I don't want you taking it. And praise God, how many of y'all are grateful you're going to get a new body? <laughs> a new body. How, many, how much of this old body do y'all want? Y'all want any of this old body? You want a brand new one? Yeah, I, I'm serious. Every time I think, oh, well, my right leg works, well, I wake up and there it's not. <laughs> it, it just, that's why I play disc golf. I got one good right leg and one good left, right arm. I can do that. When that's gone, I don't know what I'm going to do, Ashley. <laughs> now the earth is corrupt. So it's getting corrupt. People are living less. People are making bad decisions. When you make bad decisions, bad things happen. Uh, Businesses crush. People don't like each other. They're fighting. There's wars. Bad decision leads to more decisions. Now man has the ability to make bad decisions. Do you think he's making more bad decisions or good decisions? And in fact, if it's a good decision, it's like, wow. And so the earth was corrupt in God's sight. What do you think in man's sight? Think man thought it was okay? Yeah, man always thinks it's okay because man's in the middle of it. Well, as long as I'm the one in the top of the food chain, it's okay. The guys at the bottom don't think it's okay. But it's corrupt in God's sight. 
and the earth was filled with violence. That's how things were getting done. It was filled. Look at this next verse. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. How much of the flesh had corrupted their way? And in fact, we don't really even know why, how bad it really was. It could have been worse than it is now. We really just don't know. But he's just saying in God's eyes, he said, it's totally messed up. And God said to Noah, later on, chapter 6 of Genesis, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. It's got to be pretty bad if God's going to wipe everybody out, right? That's all we know. There's three or four speculations. Well, angels came down, had sex with these girls, and it messed up the DNA. Could be. Or, man, everything, you know, there's, there's all kinds, a few, a few common theories. But the fact is, he doesn't really tell us. He just says, it's so messed up that in my infinite wisdom, God says, I'm wiping it out. It would be re- better for a fresh start. But one of the theories, one of the ideas, is this is a beautiful picture of what's going to happen to this earth later. One, do you understand, again, next is a, it, 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 what we have is for us as believers, there's a rapture. We go to heaven, and for seven years, we have a honeymoon. We're in, in a marriage supper. We're, we're the groom, and he's the bride. But during that seven years on this planet is the worst time the earth has ever suffered. He is destroying the earth, trying to reconcile the Jews through tribulation and punishing those who rejected his gift of love of him coming to pay for our sins that's coming during that seven years while we're in that honeymoon and at the end it's totally destroyed and then there's a brand new millennial kingdom that the jews were looking for that's going to be perfect eden like earth for a thousand years and at the end of that thousand years a new heaven and a new earth coming out and that's where we live forever how many are glad you're on god's side amen but it's a picture of what he's going to do during the tribulation period. And, and Jesus is a picture of the ark. So God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh. The earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself a what? An ark. What is the ark? It's a big box boat that's going to hold animals because he's going to save some animals and 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 you can read the story but he's going to save a remnant of mankind that he has found favor and people that he can start over with that's going to do things right or at least that's the idea they've been faithful all 120 years while noah builds the ark but he said i'm going to make an ark the ark is the only way you survive in the flood so who's our ark y'all jesus christ he's our ark there's another picture of christ there Anywhere you cut the Bible, it bleeds. He said, cover it inside and outside with pitch. All right? Look at this now. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man, animals, creeping things, birds of the heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those were with him in the... So when Christ comes back... Man, when Christ comes back, when, when Armageddon happens, when Christ comes back, when the second coming happens, when, when, who are the only people, according to the great white throne judgment, who are going to survive? Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We're getting ready to hit that on Monday nights. There's going to be a great white throne judgment that God is going to have in the end. And he said, we're going to open books. I think it's in chapter 19. I'm not really prepared, but chapter 19 of Revelation, if you want to look, it's somewhere in there. He said he opens books, and then he opens a book. And all the people who want to be judged out of the books are judged out of all of their works. 
Good, bad, indifferent. They said, I don't want to be put in the book. I don't want to be judged by Jesus Christ. I want to be judged by my works. And he opens the books and there's all their works. And you know what he says? Everyone who chose to be judged according to their works. Tiny, where do they end up? Yeah, good answer, man. <laughs> they, yeah, no, they end up in hell. The only ones who end up in heaven are those who's found their names written in the Lamb's book of life. Go read it for yourself. This is the story all through the Word of God, which is the only truth we have. And the way you get your name in the Lamb's book of life is by giving your life to Christ. You're found in Him. He's your ark. He's the, he's the safety, uh, the, the, the rescue boat, if you will. So that's another reason why God may have had this, was this is a picture of all of this. But there's the ark. So guess what happens next? Man, after the flood... They get going in the flood, and um, you know, man's you know still not doing really all that good. But God found an old dude named Abraham, and by the time when he found Abraham, he was seventy-five. So, how many of y'all? Is there anybody here at seventy-five? Yeah, seventy-five. There you go, Gary. So imagine right now, you're like sitting there, dude, I'm coasting on snook cruiser time right now. Imagine God finds you and Nell, Abraham and Sarah. It says, Gary, I am going to make a great nation out of you. And out of this great nation, I am going to create a Messiah. Your whole purpose of this nation I'm going to create is I'm going to bring this Messiah to the world. Now, you have to give your life to the Messiah. That's where the Jews got that wrong. They thought that, that they were, had, had special privileges because they brought the Messiah in. But all of a sudden, Gary, are you now ready to go bring a Messiah into the world? Are you all ready to start a nation? Like they did. They both did. Yeah. And we'd be laughing, too, if Gary got up there in the praise jar and he's like, you know, during this joy bucket. All right, well, God spoke to Nell and I. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have some kids. In fact, we're going to have so many kids that we're going to have a nation after us and all of this, and everybody's laughing, right? But the whole purpose, of, this is how the Jewish nation got started. And the whole purpose of them was to bring the Messiah into the world. He's prophesied from the beginning in the scriptures. So the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land I will show you. How many of y'all would like to tell your wife that? Terry, how would you like to come home to Fernanda and say, hey, you know what, we're just leaving. God said to go, we're taking off, and well, where are we going? I don't know. Wherever God says. What are we going to do? I don't know. Whatever God says. Well, well, how long are we going to be gone? I don't know. However long. I... How would that go? <laughs> yeah, take the whole family, man. Yeah, yeah. But if you're obedient to God and you know God's saying that, then you do that. But that's where God came to him and said, I'm going to show you. So he had to have faith to say, that's what I'll do. I will make you a great nation. Listen to the promise of Israel, and these promises are forever in case you think God's done with Israel. I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you. So I'll make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. How many of y'all think Abraham's name is great? Dude, he's the greatest man in all of Judaism. He's Abraham, dude. It's not like, you remember that guy Nimrod back in the day? His name's not great. Any of y'all name your kids Nimrod? No. But Abraham, that's a good name. Oh, this little baby Abe. Not, oh, this baby Nimrod. <laughs> like, no. His name got, is not good. Abraham's name is made great because of his faith in this. I'll make a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. Look at this. Here's the prophecy of the Messiah, guys. 
so that you will be a blessing. And in fact, it says to all nations later, we'll see that. I will bless those who bless you. Oh, this is an eternal covenant. So if he says, I will bless those who bless you, what should we be doing with Israel, y'all? We should be blessing them. You look what happens to every one of our presidents, every one of our governments, every time we turn on Israel. Every time we try to divide the land, every time we try to draw, divide Jerusalem, every time we try to make some peace accord where it's not favorable for Israel, even though Israel's got a ton of atheists and could care less about God. Even if that's it, but God says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I'll curse you. And in all the families of the earth, they will be blessed. So how are all the families of the earth blessed through Abraham? Let me ask you a question. Please raise your hand in worship aerobics one more time, maybe a few more times. But if you have been blessed by Abraham because Abraham brought a Messiah and you are saved through that Messiah, let me see your hand. All these families have been blessed through Abraham. That's what his whole purpose was, was to bring the Messiah into the world. And all these families, and if we went to all the churches, went to people through history, Man, there's the prophecy of the Messiah. Look at Genesis 17. When Abraham, Gary, 99. Dude, you're 75? 85, 95. That's 23 more years. 24 more years, right? 24 years from now. God promised y'all when you were 75, you're going to have some babies, right? You ain't had none yet. Well, I think you did, but you tried it your own way and you created the Arab nations, which was a whole mistake. But you're 99. Dude, you sound as ridiculous as Noah for 120 years saying, well, God's going to flood the earth. I'm building this ark. Old <laughs> Abraham and Sarah over here in the condo. Yep, we're going to have a baby. We're going to have so many babies. They're like, yeah, you big nut. You see what faith takes, man? In spite of circumstances, you're still believing what God says he's going to do. That's why last week we talked about not behaving, believing. Believe God, and it will cause you to behave right. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. He appeared to him a couple of other times prior, like once every 10 years. Would that be enough for you? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, keep, keep the faith alive. Appeared to Abraham, he said to him, I am God Almighty. Check, we like that word, don't we? God Almighty. If he's God Almighty, who's, and he's got all the might, how much might do you have? None. If you need any might, you get it from God Almighty. You think a 99-year-old man with a 90-year-old wife needs some might from God to have some babies? <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> How many of y'all can identify? You're like, dude, I just need might to get my underwear on and not fall over in the morning. <laughs> if you ain't there yet, don't worry about it. <laughs> you will. <laughs> All right. Man, when I was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. He said, that's what I'm doing but I still don't have a kid. Do you want it? You know, and anyways, you can read all a beautiful story in this. He said, I'm going to make my covenant between me and you. And is that where did I skip a verse, JJ, in this one? When Abraham's 99 and, and be blameless, he said, be blameless. And then I may make a covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. He's 99, going to multiply him greatly. So look at verse 17, chapter 17 in, in the very beginning of that. Then Abraham fell on his face and said to God, Behold, my covenant's with you. You shall be a father of a multitude of nations. That's what he's telling Israel. Uh, the multitude of nations is after the Messiah. 
This is the millennial. This is us. A multitude of people. What nation is a, is a Christian nation? Is there a Christian nation? Was America ever a Christian nation? No. Because a nation can't be Christian. You can't have a Christian family. Christianity is an individual. We did make things based on Christian principles. But man, you know what? You become a Christian by yourself. There's no second generation Christians. You become a Christian in all of this. But what nations are going to be represented in heaven, y'all? Hey, Kirsten, is Haiti going to be represented in heaven? Yeah, man. Amen. You know, oh, uh, is South Africa going to be represented? In, you're from South Africa, right? Is that going to be represented? If Lombani was here, is uh, Malawi going to be represented in heaven? Yeah. Wherever you guys are from, it's going to be represented. That's what he's talking about here. But it's going to come through a Messiah. You're going to be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Hey, you know what? He just changed his name to father of nations. You're 99, and all of a sudden, Gary, you get you a name tag to walk around the condo. Father of nations. <laughs> Doesn't God like to do it that way? <laughs> You got a big old sign. I'm the father of nations. But I said, you're a 99-year-old senile man, dude. <laughs> nope, God promised. And that's what we look like sometimes when we're following God, doesn't it? But man, you have faith. If you just believe, you will behave. You know, and, and so that's what God's doing here. He changed his name to father of nations. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. It hasn't happened, but it's as good as done when God promises it. Anybody here still waiting on promises from God? They're as good as done if they are from him. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make you into nations and kings shall come out of you. Gary, is this sounding pretty ridiculous? You're just trying to like not have to go outside with the sign, right? <laughs> but Abraham's walking around with faith and God counted that as righteousness to him. God, this is the most ridiculous thing in the world, but here I am. And you know what? I believe you're going to do it. I don't know how, but I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Man, don't you want situations like that, y'all? That's what we're supposed to have with him. And then he goes on and um, he says, I will establish my covenant between me, you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for, and what? How long is this going to last? Everlasting, forever. An everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you through the Messiah. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, do not call her name Sarah, but, or Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Check this out, Sarah, Sarai, you know what that means? Princess. You know what, when God changed her name to Sarah, anybody here named Sarah? Anybody have a middle name, last name, first name, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah? All right, you know what your name means? It means, instead of princess, generic princess, when your name gets changed as Sarah, it means God's princess. My princess. That's what God says. He said, change your name to my princess. So she'll have some faith when she's carrying that sign around. <laughs> if she can even still walk, she's carrying that sign around. We're going to have babies, man. You're going to fulfill your promise, God. Call her name my princess. That's going to be her name. I will bless her. Moreover, I will give you a son by her. What? Why did God wait so long? Hey, check this out. When he had a baby with Hagar, his Egyptian, you know, her Egyptian slave, which was their idea, and had the baby Ishmael, he was in his 90s. He, could, he was still virile enough to actually produce a baby on his own. So you see why God had to wait? 
he had to wait till they were almost dead <laughs> before he could. So when they had a baby, it was like, yeah, it wasn't them two that had that baby. <laughs> and how many times in our own life does God have to wait till it's almost dead where we have nothing to do with it? There's nothing we can do. There's no hope in our own strength, in our own resources. And God is waiting. You're like, why, why, why? Anybody ever say that to God? Because he's waiting for them to almost be dead so when the baby comes, there's no doubt about how they had the baby. And whatever your baby is, that's what he's waiting for so you can't get any credit. You have to give it all to him. Just dig the ride. Dig the ride. Remember, Jesus said, you're tired of all this religious junk. Put your head in my yoke. All the junk Pharisees got, put your head in my yoke. Yoke is where two ox put their head. And Jesus is the ox that's leading us. Amen? And you, my friend, are the little chihuahua that are in the other side of the yoke that your feet don't even reach the ground. You got any say on where things are going? No, quit spending your whole life yapping. Rah, 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 yapping. Instead, dig the ride because that's what he's got you on right now. That's what these great people of faith did who God used to bring this Messiah. He's out, bless her, she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed to himself, not out of, he was just like, have you ever had God ask you to do something and you just laughed? You knew he wanted you to do it. And you just go, I can't wait to see how you're going to pull this one off, God. That's Abraham's laugh. Not like Sarah's, and it's clear later we learn from Scripture. His laugh was a laugh out of faith, like, you're going to do it, but I don't know how. This sure ain't very likely, is it, Gary? <laughs> 24 years from now, bro. <laughs> that ain't, it's not even likely now, a little on 24 years from now, right? She shall bore a man. Uh, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? <laughs> shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? And you know what the next verse is? I don't know if I even have it in there, but it said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And it's not. Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael lived before you. Ishmael, you know, the one that I had with Hagar, you know, the Egyptian handmaid of my wife. You know, how about him? He's 13 years old now. I kind of like him. We can make this work, God. <laughs> oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, Sarah, your wife's going to bear a son. You'll call his name Isaac. Hey, what does Isaac mean, y'all? Laughter. <laughs> yeah. Laughter. That, that, so you ever wonder where your parents got your name from? <laughs> I'm just saying his name was Laughter. Uh, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. You keep seeing this. His covenant is forever. It, even if it takes a tribulation period to bring the Jews back to their Messiah that they brought into the world, that's what God's going to do. I'll establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So, as for Ishmael, I've heard you, I blessed him, I'll make him fruitful, multiply him greatly. He shall further uh, father 12 princes, I'll make him into a great nation. Who's Ishmael right now, y'all? The Arab nations, all the Arab nations, which they had as a mistake, but God had it all planned, and boy, they could have a lot more money if they didn't have Arab nations to defend themselves against, just saying. But God said, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of him too, but that's not who the Messiah is coming from. I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you this time next year. Hey, how many of y'all are waiting on God to do something? Anybody waiting on God to do something? Yeah. How about if God said, okay, next year. <laughs> Jack, next year. <laughs> You're waiting on God to do something. He says, a year. How many of y'all think a year is a long time? 
How many of y'all think a day is a long time? <laughs> Julia, next year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, next year. But if you're trusting an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God, a year's not, not a long time. You got a God that knows everything, that can do anything, and that's everywhere. Do you, and he says it's supposed to happen in a year. Do you really want it before then? No, you're probably not ready for it, and it's not ready for you. You got a God that knows everything, can do anything, and is everywhere. When do you want it to happen? When he wants it to happen. But here it is, Gary, 24 years. Now it's 25 years, <laughs> and it's going to happen. Now it's going to, and it's like, well, what's one more year in this? I'm carrying the sign. Here it is. God's going to do it. And God, sure enough, will do it. So look at Genesis 21. This is where we end in this section here. And we're done with Genesis, actually. The third of Genesis, Terry. I think. Oh, no, it's the next part. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord said to Sarah as he had promised. This is a little. And Sarah conceived, bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken of him. Duh. But man, doesn't God always just do it? at the perfect time. He's always got perfect timing. It's just not our timing. Amen. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. That's what God said to call him. And that's what he did. He was faithful in all of that. So it did actually happen. Well, here's the part where we're done. So now after these things, God tested Abraham. Now remember the whole nation, the Messiah is coming through Abraham and it's going to come through Isaac, all right? And that's his only kid. And he's going to have nations. He's going to have multitude of nations. In fact, you know what God even told Abraham one time? He said, Abraham, I want you to look up at the stars. Every time you look at the stars, I want you to see that's how many kids you're going to have, offspring you're going to have. So every time he looked up, he could remember God's promises. You know what another time he said? Look down on the ground and see all the sand. As many grains as sand, that's how many, prom that, 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 that's how many kids I'm promising you. So hope for us, man, whenever you're waiting on God's promises, look up at the stars, look down at the sand and know that God is faithful to keep his promises. Man, know that he's faithful to do that. Look up, look down, look around. Where you got to look, man? He's, he's, his promises are, are there. After these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. <laughs> and we don't even know. He's well over 100 years at this point, 100 years old. He said, take your son your only son, Isaac. Who else had an only son? God. There's a picture of it. This is a picture. Take your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer what? Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I'll tell you. You burn the offering, he's done. It's like, so God, how are you going to fulfill the promise? How's this going to happen? How am I going to be a father of nations and all this? Take my only son. We waited how long for this son? And I love him. And here he is. God, I don't know. I don't understand how this is going to work. You're telling me to take him and kill him. I don't know what you're going to do, God. But whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'm going to do. So he said, take him. And when they had a burnt offering, there was nothing left. Take a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you, up in Moriah. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Man, you can imagine all the emotions, whatever. How many of y'all have, have faith in God one minute and then the next minute you're chicken? <laughs> faith in God and you're a chicken. Faith in God and you're a chicken. Back and forth, back and forth. 
I don't know if that's where Abraham's like, all right, you know, we're just going to get this over. We're going to see what God does. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, so they worshiped for three days. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar where God said, hey, this is where I want you to sacrifice Isaac. So Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. <laughs> What's he getting ready to do? He's, get, he's getting ready to worship. He's getting ready to sacrifice his only son. And for him, that's worship. Why is that worship? Because it's what who told him to do? It's what God told him to do. That's what worship is. You want to worship God. We sing songs at the end. We want more worship. We want, dude, you want more worship? You want worship? You want a worship service? You want a worship festival? You want to worship con- Dudes, do what God says to do. That's the purest form of worship, especially the hard stuff. Not the easy stuff. It's easy to sing the songs. The hard stuff is do what God's asking you to do in all this. So Abraham said to his young man, stay with the donkey. I and the boy are going to go over there and worship. And look what he says. And we're going to do what? Come, come again to you guys. Is that what God planned? Didn't God say you're going to go there and you're going to kill your son? Aren't you getting ready to bring some wood? Aren't you going to tie him up? Aren't you going to set it on fire? Aren't you going to do all this? And he said, we're going to come back again. <laughs> you know what he kind of knew? He's like, I-, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm thinking he's going to need Isaac to bring the Savior into the world. So I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to kill him, resurrect him. I don't know what he's going to do, but we're coming back again. I'm pretty sure. And he goes, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. So people ask often, how old was Isaac when all this went down? How old was Abraham? Abraham had to be over a hundred plus however old Isaac was. And Isaac is now big enough to do what? Yeah. Hey, is Keone big enough to carry wood? Like for a whole big sacrifice? No, the chances are he was probably a teenager. He's in his hundred and teens right now. And this kid's a teenager. Isaac's a teenager. Hey, if you're a teenager, hey, your dad, <laughs> you, you know, you're not a teenager anymore, obviously, but, you know, you're, you're, they, they take you up to a mountain there and said, yeah, okay, well, go ahead and lay down on the altar and hold this wood, if you will, while I tie you up and I'm going to light it on fire. You think you could take the old man? <laughs> you, you think you might be tempted to take the old man? <laughs> Unless you had faith in God that that's what God was asking you to do. So imagine the faith on both of them. One's a picture of God the Father. One's a picture of Christ. Christ laid on the altar. He, laid on, he let him crucify him. He let him beat him beyond recognition. He let him do it all. And at the end said, Father, it's finished. Now, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm done. <laughs> I did what you asked me to do. He did it voluntarily. That's what Isaac did. And, and, and you know, we're J.J.? I'm not talking about a worse moment, but on a good moment. How hard would it be as a father to burn Peony up on the altar? There's some days, right? Just no. Well, yeah, the mo- that's God the Father. That's, that's God the Son, a picture. So, man, he, took his, uh, he, he laid the wood on Isaac, his son's back. He took his hands and the fire and the knife. This is for real. So they went, both of them, together. So Isaac was old enough to be able to do what? What's that three-letter word begins with R and ends with U-N? 
run. How many of y'all would have ran? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? <laughs> Maybe Isaac didn't even get it yet at this point that it was him. But he obviously didn't at this point. Where, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? That's what we always do. Abraham said, God will provide for himself. You know, it's pretty cool in Hebrew. It, in Hebrew, the way this is constructed, it could be taken two ways. Be taken that God will provide a lamb, a ram or a lamb so that we can do the offering. But it also means God will provide himself as an offering, which is a picture of the Messiah. So God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went uh, together. When he came to place which God told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, and then he bound Isaac. <laughs> now you're thinking about running, right, bro? <laughs> yeah. He bound Isaac, his son laid, and he laid him on the altar on top of wood. A hundred year old dude gets a teenager in this. That's God the Father, that's God the Son on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, he took the knife to slaughter his son. Can you even imagine, fathers, to slaughter his son? He was ready to do what God wanted to do. Even he, somehow, God, you've got to make this work because you've promised all of this. I'm going to do what you say to do, God, no matter what I think is going to happen. Isn't that why we don't do what, we, what God wants us to do so often? Is because we know what's going to happen or we think we know what's going to happen. And instead, man, why don't you give God the opportunity to do something phenomenal? The angel of the Lord called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. <laughs> That's how he always answered, right? Here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. So you see what fearing God is? Fearing God is, I'm going to do, I'm an idiot to do anything that an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God wants me to do. I'm an idiot to do anything except that. Anytime I do anything other than what God wants me to do, it's not wise. It's not good. God is the expert. What is God the expert at, y'all? Everything. Is there anything you're more of an expert at? Sports, sports memorabilia. You're pretty good at that, right? You're pretty expert at that. You know what's, uh, is, God a, is God a better expert at you than you at sports memorability? Remember, remember, yeah, whatever that's called. Yeah. Beach glass, beach junk, finding it on the beach. You're the expert here, man. Y'all ever want to like find beach glass? She'll take you and show all her secret spots and share it all with you <laughs> when she's filled with the spirit, not in the flesh. No, but is God a better beach glass collector than you? Yeah. How about, how about a, a contractor? How about a, a, how about a superintendent? Is God a better superintendent than you? You hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's better. He's an expert at everything. So I fear God. He's the expert at everything. I'd be an idiot not to do it God's way in this. Do not lay your hand on the boy or anything, for now I know that you fear God. You'll do whatever God says to do, no matter what. Instead of putting all your logic into it, you're going to listen to God and do what God says to do. You're crazy enough to do what God's asked you to do. How many of y'all are crazy enough to do what God's asked you to do? Anybody? You're scared to raise your hand right now, aren't you? Kevin? He's a pilot, dude. Y'all should go fly with him. He just said he's crazy enough to do whatever God tells him to do. Hopefully it's land that plane. <laughs> I'm just saying. But yeah, I know you fear God. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. In this. 
Abraham lifted his eyes, looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught by a thicket by his horns. Again, another picture of Christ. He's the substitute. And Abraham went, took the ram, offered up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Y'all are waiting for God to provide something? Any of y'all need anything? Emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, whatever, the Lord will provide if that's what you need. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I've sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemy. One day Christ is going to run it all. And if you've been in our study in Revelation, you'll see how that's true. You see when it all goes down. We have just a little bit of time left here, guys. I don't know when he's coming, but even you take all prophecy and look, we're down in the feed in Daniel. It might be your lifetime, might not be, but man, you're going to be in heaven forever with Christ reigning, man, this Messiah that's been planted since the beginning of time. And he said, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you obeyed my voice. So back in this, JJ, you want to take me to our thing that we have? And I'm just going to read this. This is something that um, we end with this part right here. But when I was back in my younger days, when I had black hair and I was in better shape and all that other stuff, I, I used to be the guy during our Easter presentation. We used to have at this church in Orlando, First Baptist Church of Central Florida, had nine, over 9,000 people at church, but all these different services. I was a youth pastor. Uh, we all did a lot of different things. We'd, we'd have like seven different Easter services. Had the singing cross. One, one Easter, it collapsed. Were you in that when it collapsed, honey? Oh, you didn't fall. Yeah, because you're a country girl, man. You made it. But anyway, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, man, we just had this big thing. It was huge, man. Seven presentations. People from all Orlando would come, and we just wanted them to hear the gospel in all of this. And uh, anyways, you have this here. Will, will you switch this for me as fast as I can read this? I'd rather read it off of here. But I used to have to do this theatrical presentation of Jesus through Scripture. And I was studying all of this about cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. I'm just going to give you a quick one little hit on each one of the chapter, each one of the books of the Bible. And I want to challenge you to go through the Word of God and find Christ in everything. He's there. He's the ultimate. He is what, what, what Christianity is all about. It's not about a bunch of rules. It's not about a, a system. It's about Jesus Christ, a person, and you having an intimate relationship with him. And he shows us that from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So check this out. In Genesis, he is the ram at Abraham's altar that we just looked at. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. In Numbers, he's the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And in Deuteronomy, he's the city of our refuge. He's so much more than all that. In Joshua, he's the scarlet thread out Rahab's window. In Judges, he's our judge. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. And in Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of everything that is broken. In Esther, he's Mordecai, sitting faithful at the gate. In Job, he's our redeemer that ever liveth. 
In Psalms, he's my shepherd and I shall not want. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he's the beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, it is Jesus that is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the midst of the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is my love that is forever faithful. In Joel, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's our savior. In Jonah, he is the great foreign missionary that takes the word of God into all the world. You go on and see in Micah, he is a messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger. In Habakkuk, he is the watchman that is ever praying for revival. In Zephaniah, he's the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he's the restorer of our lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's the, our fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. In Matthew, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. In Mark, he is the miracle worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he is the door by which everyone must enter. In Acts, he is the shining light that appears to Saul on the road to Damascus. In Romans, he's our justifier. In 1 Corinthians, our resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, our sin bearer. In, in Galatians, he redeems us from the law. In Ephesians, he is our unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he supplies our every need. And in Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's our soon coming king. <laughs> in First and Second Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's our blessed hope. In Philemon, he's our friend that sticks closer than a brother. And in Hebrews, he is the blood of uh, the everlasting covenant. In James, he is the Lord that heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he's the chief shepherd. And in First, Second, and Third John, it is Jesus who has the tenderness of love. In Jude, he is the Lord coming with ten thousand saints. And in Revelation, lift up your eyes, church, for our redemption draweth nigh. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. So listen, man, you give it up for God. That's man, that's Jesus. That's the one that loves you more than anyone could ever love you. That's the one you either have a relationship or you don't. Not about religion. It's about a relationship with this living God, Jesus Christ. And you're invited to have one. If you want that relationship, you can have it. You just invite him to take over your life. He's right. Let him take over. He's right. He wants you to do it his way because it's the best way. It's the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, man, if, if you need, found any of those things where you need those in life, you know what you need? You need Jesus. And he's there if you want him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us just that one little verse that, man, it wasn't Paul's gospel. It, it wasn't some Christian gospel. It's the gospel. It's the good news that man's a sinner and man has earned a free trip to hell and man doesn't have to go there because a perfect man came down as God and man and lived a perfect life and took the death penalty, all paid the price 
and became our substitute. And if we will believe, put our faith and trust in him for our life to just simply follow him, that, Father, we can have that eternal life imputed to us. We can have it. And so, Father, I pray that everyone who hears this would have eternal life through Jesus. He's been the plan since eternity, and he's still the plan. And Father, um, what a privilege it is to be a part of that plan. So I pray if there's someone who's never given their life to Christ, but today they have some desire, even if they don't even know what they're getting into, they just know this is what they want. Help them realize that desire comes from you and give them the desire and ability to surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you. Father, I pray by us just knowing who Jesus is in the scripture, we would be encouraged. We would have courage to really know what we're here for, and that is to be an ambassador for you. Thank you, Father, for showing us that in your word, giving us grace to have faith to believe it. Now, Father, help us to carry that out. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.